All right, best and worst chores. Let me let me hear some responses. What are the best and worst chores uh, that you can think of? This is an actual question. I'm expecting actual responses from adults and children alike. Cassie, what do you have? Dishwasher. Dishwasher. Is that a best or a worst? Right. Worst. Okay. Sean? Mowing the lawn. Mowing the lawn. Best or worst? Uh, it's kind of the best. It's kind of relaxing. You get to see the pattern in the grass. Nice. All right. <laughs> Uh, do you hire out? Okay, because if we might have a match in here. Uh, Christina? Bathrooms. Bathrooms. That's got to be a worse. Okay, thank you. Very good. Cleaning Front. barns. Cleaning the barns. That's worse? Oh, yeah. Okay, okay. <laughs> Joy, one more. What's that? Of one's wife. Okay, is that a best or a worst? <laughs> careful, careful, Joy. All right, good, good answer. This is being recorded this morning, just so you know. I want you to know that. Say, say that again, Joy. Awesome, awesome. Thanks, Joy. Yeah. Listen, I had a dad that um, came home from work almost every day, and I watched this. I would watch him come home from work, and he'd be whistling. And I remember thinking as a little kid, I thought, man, if I could go off to a job and come home from my job whistling almost every day, that's a really, really good thing. And I remember asking my dad all about that. How come you come home whistling? Is it because you're thrilled that you're off work? He goes, no, because I get to go to work. And he really loved his work. Any other mechanical engineers out there? Any kind of engineer? He was actually a microwave engineer. He was an engineer, and he loved it. Um, I thought about my own children, and I thought, you know, what if they could do chores, uh, something that they would like? I have two teenage boys, so if they got to eat food that they liked as a chore, man, they would love that. I've got a daughter, Tegan, who lives in trees, and if she could, if it was somehow a chore around our house that we needed someone to climb a tree every day and get the sap out so it's on her, um, she would love that chore. That's a great chore. Uh, little Eli is my three-year-old. And if it was a chore to destroy things, um, I mean, he would take great pleasure in just destroying things. Um, this morning is kind of a sequel. So this is a sequel from two weeks ago, but kind of like a Rocky film. What I'm going to do is I'm going to give you the last scene of the previous sermon so you can kind of pick up. In case you weren't here two weeks ago, you'll kind of pick up to speed of where we're at. As God's children in God's family, we actually get to do chores but we get to do chores from a get-to standpoint. doesn't mean it's always easy. It's still work. It's still hard sometimes. But when you're doing something that matters for all of eternity, it takes a chore from being a have to, oh, I hate that, to a quest, to something that you go, man, this is really, really hard, but this is important, and I get to do this. We're talking about ministry, and uh, this one image kind of helps sum up two weeks ago. The idea of this, that, that um, we rest in the finished work of Christ. Jesus died on the cross so we can be in right relationship with the Holy God. That is the great work. It's finished, Jesus said on the cross. Now, because that's true... We rest on that. Because that's true, we get to leap forward and throw ourselves, strive at the good work. You've been called to good works. You might remember that we're not so much needed by God, but we're wanted by God. Remember my three-year-olds helping out? We get to carry the gallon of milk in. We get to help accomplish the Father's will. We get to hold the other end of the measuring tape. Right? Not because we're needed, not because God can't accomplish these things without us, but because we're chosen, because we're wanted to, to participate in this. I left you with this provocative uh, statement and then question. You were created for good works. Here's the question. Do you know what they are? You were created for good works. The Bible couldn't be more clear on that. Do you know what those good works are? And maybe even more provocative is this. Are you engaged in them? Are you pursuing them? Now, Jesus clarifies people's roles, sometimes very, very dramatically. Think about the fisherman that he approaches one day, and he says, I'm going to make you fishers of men. With that statement, 
He flipped their world upside down. They left their nets and they began to go fishing for all of eternity, right? He goes to this tax collector named Matthew. You know what Matthew's job was? It was to take taxes from people. He said, follow me, Matthew. You're going to go from a taker of taxes to a giver of mercy. Now, we don't know all the professions of all the other disciples, but we've got those two snapshots. Who remembers Zacchaeus? Huh? What's, what's one of the most notable features about Zacchaeus? He was a wee little man, right? I mean, I sang that growing up in church. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. But Zacchaeus went from a boss, from someone who was hated, from someone who was ostracized, to a generous host. He climbs up a tree one day to see Jesus passing by. He says, get down here, I'm having lunch at your house today. And the effect that happens on Zacchaeus when Jesus comes in contact with him is incredible. You can read about it for yourself. But, but he says this, I'm going to give half of my money to the poor. I'm going to impose what, what I think is fair to call like a repentance tax. He basically says this, if I've cheated anyone, I'm going to not only pay them back, but I'm going to pay them uh, multiple times over back. And that's going to be a self-imposed repentance tax just to show how overjoyed I am that salvation has come to my house today. When we come in contact with this Jesus, the chore, maybe, of prying money out of your hands that used to be your God becomes a get-to. Do you see it? Now, we see some really dramatic examples in Scripture. It's not always that dramatic. But Jesus does change us. He awakens us. He brings into focus what's real. He clarifies. So I ask you again, Christian, each one of you who is a Christian, you were created for good works. Do you know what they are? Today, so that was all kind of last week. That's the, that's the end scene from two weeks ago. Um, today we're going to get really practical. And some of you say, okay, good. Give me, give me some coordinates that I can, that I can work with. And give me an exact location. Some of you need a map, okay? the old shell map that you fold up and gets all, you know, all greasy. Uh, but, but I'm not going to give you specific coordinates to what your ministry role is, is or should be. I'm not going to give you a specific road map that's going to lay it out just perfectly for you. Instead, uh, I'm going to give you this. This is more like what Lewis and Clark had. Lewis and Clark, remember, led an expedition, right? Now, did they have specific coordinates? Say no. No. Did they have a map from Shell? Please say no. Absolutely not. What did they have? They had landmarks, right? We think there's a ravine here. We're pretty sure there's mountains over here. Uh, We're pretty sure that there's stuff over here that you don't want to be involved in. Go around that tribe, right? Whatever it might be. They had some basic landmarks, but they had something really, really critical. They had a general heading. Go west, young man. Head west. Keep going west. We know that if we keep heading west, we're going to get to where we want to go. That's what I'm going to give you more this morning is, is that. Turning your Bibles to John chapter 12. Our, our passage today is one verse. Uh, and, and we're in a series talking about prioritizing like Jesus. And I think you'll find that, that uh, the different things shared this morning are like Jesus. But I'm going to give you a few examples. But a lot of them you'll have to just... Uh, look up on your own or see this in Jesus' ministry as you read the Gospels and elsewhere. But in John chapter 12, I'll give you the context while you're turning there. The context is the amazing clarity that Jesus had regarding his good work. And his work, we'll have to call it great. It's always a great work for Jesus. He had remarkable clarity as to what he was called to do. And he knew that he completed the work. He knew not to pray himself out of the good work that he was in, even when it got really, really difficult. Uh, And then he gives us our general heading. This is our go west. Listen to it. John chapter 12, verse 26. Jesus talking. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So what is our general heading? What is our Lewis and Clark for sure keep going west? No matter what other obstacles you get, it's this. Follow 
Jesus. Keep following Jesus. So no matter what else I give to you today, if you find yourself in a ministry where Jesus is present, stay there. And keep pursuing. If you ever find yourself in a church, in a ministry, and you realize Jesus has up and left this place, don't hesitate. Keep following Jesus. That's kind of this big overarching truth that's going to that's going to kind of cover everything else that I say. We're going to get into some details. I know some of you are like, that is not helpful. I need something more practical. Give me. You said it was be practical. I'm going to get into the practical. But from Jesus' own words, if you want to serve Jesus, be with Jesus. Check in with Jesus. Be where He is. Now. That, that leads to a whole bunch of other sermons that we're not going to talk about today. But you have to know what the earmarks of Jesus' ministry are like, don't you? You have to know what kind of fruit he produces to be able to recognize, is Jesus present here or not? Lord, do you still want me at this place doing this ministry or not? I am not here this morning to set out your priorities. And there's a few reasons. You can jot these down if you want, or you can just listen to them. The first one is this. I'm not here to set out your priorities in ministry. Remember, we're choosing between good, better, and best. A lot of you are involved in ministry. I want to challenge you to evaluate that ministry. Some of you aren't involved in ministry. Get going. But I'm not here to set out your individual priorities, partly because it's too easy that way. It's too easy. Uh, Most great things in life don't come easy. Have you found that to be true? There's some level of work involved to things that really are great. Sometimes, when things do come easy, here's what happens. They spoil. Because you didn't do the work. You didn't do the the clutching and clawing to kind of get to that place. And you don't even recognize what you have. And so sometimes it spoils. There's another reason. Um, if, If the priorities that I were to set out to you weren't the right ones... Here's what you have. You have a built-in excuse. I heard this preacher one time say this, and I followed his directions, and it didn't work out so well. So now you can heap it on someone else instead of taking ownership for it yourself. Here's a question that I want actual answers from. Anyone start off serving in some ministry and change midstream because they realize that was not the place I should be serving Jesus in? Anyone have just a a quick story about that where where they started off in some kind of ministry, they thought they'd be good at it, they thought they'd like it, they they thought they'd thrive at that, and that was not the case, but now they're somewhere else? Anyone anyone have any of those? You guys are good. You just nailed it first time. (laughs) I'm the only sinner in the place. Okay. Oftentimes. Maybe you're just too shy this morning. Oftentimes, you will begin moving forward, which is really smart. Have you ever heard the idea that God can't steer a stopped car or a parked car? Sometimes you just put it in gear and you start moving forward, and God allows that process to begin to shift. Um, One of my roles as a youth pastor for years and years was was to invite people in to investing in young people. And as they did that, I always screened them and I always told them, here are some of the things you'll feel. Here's some of the, the challenges and hurdles that you'll overcome. And I always had kind of a test-out period for both myself and for them. I took very seriously who I put in front of our students at our church. And sometimes people came in thinking, that looks great. You guys get to go to the beach and call it church work. I want in. I want to do that. And sometimes it became really clear early on, youth ministry is not for you. We need to steer you elsewhere. And that's okay, right? Um, So, uh, all that to say that clarity sometimes comes in the search. Sometimes there's a purifying process that you need to struggle through. And discovering what aren't your gifts sometimes helps clarify what your gifts are. That way, too, when you're serving in one part of the body and you have these grandiose dreams of being something else... When you've tested out, I tried that, that is definitely not me. It just kind of just kind of pops those those kind of elusive bubbles that are floating around there. Would it be great if I could serve over there like that person? So sometimes clarity comes in just moving forward. Uh, finally, 
Um, you can just write your gig. And if you won't understand what that means in two months, you better clarify. This is your deal. Part of growing up is making a hard decision. You parents out there, you grandparents, part of your role as a parent is to give your kids the opportunity to make decisions that will affect them, and then they live with the consequences, right? If you have someone who's 27 years old, and they're blaming on their parents or their boss decisions that they've made and they can't own them up, it's back like that, that uh, no excuses thing. Well, this preacher one time told me, I don't want you dependent on this church. I don't want you dependent on me. I want you dependent on Jesus Christ. You Christian, I long for your ears to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Guess who's going to hear that? You. Guess who's responsible to steward the gifts you've been equipped with? You. Not me. Not someone else from this church. Not someone who mentored you 20 years ago. So this is your deal. All right. As the chosen, as the beloved, now we get to get after it. We get to get talking about serving Christ and, and, and thinking through what that's like. All right, I want you to imagine for a moment that you are summoned by a great king. You've been summoned personally, and after making your way through all of the security checkpoints, you had to produce all the credentials to show that you belong there, you made it through the... The, the metal detector, and now you're in a waiting room, and now it's your turn, and, 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 and you've been called, and you're shown into um, a great hall, maybe something like this. And at the far end of a great hall, here's what you hear. David. <laughs> David. There we go. That's more kingly. Son of Carl. And then you look up. Your name, your name may not, you know, plug your own name in. And as you look up, you might respond something like this at your service. And there might be a slight bow that would come with that. There's something instinctual that we have that says in that moment, yo, what's up? Doesn't fit. Right? That is not the appropriate response. When you're in the presence of power, when you're in the presence of greatness, when, when you realize this is an important moment, you don't just act flippantly with that. So in the movies, you might see this. You might read this in, in your favorite novels, that the king uh, you know, calls out your name, and at your service is, yes, you've got the right person. What can I do for you? King Jesus, catch this, calls each one of us by name. Isn't this a great response for King Jesus? When Jesus calls you, you say, at your service. Is it a have to? Is it a payback? Nonsense. It's a get to. At your service. That ought to be a phrase that just rolls around our head. Jesus, I'm here at your service. You've beckoned me. You've called me by name. I'm one of your sheep. I know your voice, good shepherd. At your service. But the question, the practical question is this, how? What exactly does that mean? What are we to do? Is this just an ethereal thing in our mind? Or are there some actual practical tools to help? There are some great things to get you started. There's a SHAPE acronym, S-H-A-P-E. If you haven't heard it before, Google it, you'll find it. It's a great little acronym to kind of get you started on some things. There's spiritual gifts assessment tests. There's a bunch of math nerds that I'm sure have put out algorithms to find your perfect ministry to your personality, to all these different things, and you can run the numbers. Although I've got family that did that with a dog, and the dog's a bit of a nightmare for the family. So just be careful with that. Um, there's no sure thing. Uh, let, me give you, let me give you a few basic questions that might get you started or might reactivate you. Some of you may have had some great ministry in the past, but today the Lord's just going to use this to kind of reactivate you. Here's a couple basic questions. Where are you needed I mean, just look around you. A servant serves. Where are you needed? Here's another one. Who do you want to work with? Of all the people that I could go and minister with, I realize I have one life to live, and I pray to Jesus, say, God, I want to be around people that are walking with you, that are glorifying you, that I can learn from. That's why when I went to my last job before this one, which was 15, 16 years ago now, 
A big part of that was who was asking me. I thought, man, I'd love to do ministry with that guy. His name is Glenn Miller. Who do you want to work with? What are you good at? What are some of the things that you just, you just naturally gravitate toward? Here's maybe a more fundamental question. Who will have you? Right? I mean, I mean, maybe it's just the kind of a thing of just saying, hey, who needs me? You know, we'll take you. Okay, well, let's, let's start there. The important thing is that you start. Uh, just jot this verse down. You can look it up later. Colossians 3, 23 and 24. Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 says this. Catch this. Whatever you do. That's a pretty big catch-all. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for man. And then it goes on to say this. You are serving the Lord Christ. It says elsewhere in that same book that whether you eat or drink, do it to the glory of God. You mean I can serve Jesus while eating a hamburger? Absolutely. You can worship Him by the way that you enjoy food and company and your commute. Ooh, don't get personal, Pastor. I'm getting personal. Your job. Many of you have waking hours that are already committed to some things, commitments you already have. Count that as ministry. Work heartily. Not for your boss to be seen by men and rewarded by men. Rather for the Lord Jesus Christ. And then also in outside ministry from your work. The series that we're in is, is called Greater Than. And it's really just about focus. Uh, this is something I learned from one of my profs at San Jose Christian College. He said this. He said, do most what you do best. Do most what you do best. And what he said was this. He was training up youth pastors. And he said, there's going to be a lot of stuff with the job that you just don't like and aren't good at. That's fine. You've got to do it. That's every single job, right? Just stuff you got to do. But try and do most what you do best. Find out how you really help move the ministry forward and do that. And then bring others around you who fill in all your gaps. I had someone I met with this week, and he just said bluntly, he said, I stink at administration. Guess what I was asking about? I was asking him administration-type questions. Now, I smiled at him. We have a close relationship. I said, I know. I know you do. That's why we're meeting today. I'm actually here to walk with you in that. We're, we're going to get through this together. That doesn't mean you have to pour all your energy into doing what you do the worst. As a sports team... Um, the Spurs just so happened to make it to the finals last night. Um, Tim Duncan is a very tall man. He's seven feet tall. Tim Duncan is not an outside shooter. For those non-basketball people, that little arc around the basketball, that's way back. Those are for people who shoot the ball really well and make three-point shots. That's not Tim Duncan's game. He shouldn't be shooting three-pointers a lot. Will he make one once in a while? Sure. But he ought to do most what he does best, which is down low in the paint, being tall, Right? Same with you. Do most what you do best. All right, I'm going to lose many of you right now, but I'm going to bring extreme joy to some of your faces right now. Uh, there, was, there was something uh, a while ago called Pitfall. Now, for those of you younger, this is not a book. Uh, for those of you older, this is not an 8-track. Okay? Uh, quite clearly on the screen, what you can see is this is a video game cartridge. Okay? Now, it was so new that they had to expressly tell you it was a video game cartridge for use with a video computer system. Okay? Again, very new technology. This was a brand new thing going on. And some of us in this room, man, we just, we light up when we see this because we spent a lot of hours playing this. Now, through the miracle of technology, I've got an actual screenshot for you uh, from this game. This game, mind you, it's right around the Indiana Jones-type era of life. You know, everyone wanted to be doing that. You could soar over crocodiles who are trying to eat you just by swinging on a very stiff vine that kept a very uh, good pace. It always was exactly the same. Uh, you could jump on their heads. As long as you didn't hit their mouth, you were okay. Uh, you had to get around those pesky scorpions, right? And then I couldn't find a screenshot, but there's actually holes in the ground that you had to jump over and not fall into them. I'm bringing this up for a very specific purpose. This is much like our life with God. There was a very specific mission with this 
that needed to be completed, and there were pitfalls to avoid, and there was time involved in it. There was urgency to it. Here's what I want to do this morning with the remainder part of our time. I want to give you five pitfalls to avoid in ministry. These are five pitfalls that I think translate to almost any area of ministry that you could do. On almost any continent, you could grab these and bring them with you. All right, here's number one. The unseen is more important than what is visible or seen. The invisible more important than the visible. This is true of body parts. I want you to think right now of your ten most important body parts. Okay? Now, unless you're a nursing student here today, you're going to be a little bit hard-pressed for this, but just start thinking that through. Think through the top ten body parts. Now, as you start factoring in, you're thinking, what's greater than, you know, one or the other? What you're thinking about is this. What body part that if that failed, my whole body would fail? Those are the parts that make the top ten list, right? Let me see how close you get. This is from a, this is from a medical website. Um, we'll, just, we'll just see if any of these match up with you. Um, one is the urinary bladder. Anyone have that? Everyone happen to put that on their list? Anyone think of that? Payton did. Good job, Payton. It's a future for you. Um, your kidneys, your pancreas, liver, stomach. Number five, intestines. This is an order of uh, least important to most important. Number four, your lungs. Take a deep breath. Number three is your spleen, the oft-forgotten spleen. Number two is your heart. Anyone put the heart on there? All right, yeah. I mean, that's got to make top ten. Number one, what is it? Your brain, right? Um, When was the last time that you thought of these? Your spleen, for instance. When was the last time when you were praying, you thanked God for your pancreas? Um, Anyone see any of these body parts of your own recently? I hope not, right? Yeah, it's, it's a bad thing if you see them. Catch this. The invisible is greater than the visible. You know what shouldn't have made your list? Your complexion, your hair, eye shape, color, your biceps, right? I mean, all this stuff, right? If you look at our culture, what gets most the attention? The outward stuff. Is it vital? No. So it is in ministry. So it is in serving Jesus. The inside is more important than the outside. The heart and the motive, those are unseen. The deeds and the words, those are seen and those are heard. Listen to this quote from Richard Baxter. He was a pastor who lived way back in the 1600s. He said this, The first and great work of a Christian is about his heart. The great duties and the great sins are those of the heart. There is the root of good and evil. The tongue and life are but the fruits and expressions of that which dwells within. First pitfall to avoid is focusing on the external. All the stuff that is seen. Remember from a few weeks ago? Uh, guard your heart. Above all else, Proverbs says, for it is the wellspring of life. Forty-five times we read in the Gospels that Jesus pulled away and was off by himself to pray, seeking the Father. Jesus, talking to some Pharisees, told them to clean the inside of the cup, a metaphor for the heart, that the outside may be clean as well. What he said was, man, you buff and shine and clean up that outside so pretty, but you look inside. makes the cup unusable. The inside is vital. The unseen is vital. Your heart should live at the top of your to-do list. Not just a -a once-a-time check-in. This is an ongoing work. Now, when you reverse this, if you were to take this greater than sign and flip it, the results 
are devastating to producing godly fruit as an individual, as a family, as a church. If any of you lead any kinds of ministry, you're not just responsible for for your own heart and how you're leading that ministry, but for the heart of the ministry, for the culture of the ministry. Are there some built-in things that say it's really, really, really important why you're doing this? The launching point, are you launching off of resting in the great work of Christ or are you striving for it? That's one of the roles of a leader of any kind of ministry is to be checking in on those kinds of things. All right, here's number two. Don't compare. Turning your Bibles to John 21. In John 21, we find uh, this, this interesting exchange with Jesus. While you're turning there, you can just write this down and listen. I believe you can multitask. 1 Peter 4.10. 1 Peter 4.10 says this, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Don't compare. That is a ministry pitfall. The context here in John 21 is this. Jesus comes to Peter and he asks him something interesting. He says, do you love me, Peter, more than these? There's a handful of places in Scripture where Jesus actually answers a question that someone was thinking in their mind. This is one of those, I think. I don't know why Jesus said this exactly, but it appears maybe Jesus in his heart was saying that very thing. I love Jesus more than all these knuckleheads. He's talking about his disciple friends. Jesus walks up and he says, Peter, do you love me more than these? Perhaps Peter was comparing already. We know that Peter had this issue with comparing. He said this at one point. He swore that even if all the other disciples forsook him, I will never forsake you, Jesus. Remember Peter saying that? What's he doing? He's comparing. What's he doing? He's saying, I'm better than the rest of these guys. I'm more committed. I'm more loyal. He's got a lot of horizontal focus going on. We see that from his track record. Now, what did Peter go and do? He did the very thing that he swore up and down, even throwing his, his brothers under the bus for, that he wouldn't do. He forsook Christ three times. And now what we see at the end of John's Gospel is Jesus coming to Peter, not to offer condemnation for those three denials, not to ream him up and down, but instead what we see Jesus doing is this. We see him offering mercy mixed with a command. He gives him mercy and a mission. And here's how he says it. Do you love me? And then there's this call and response. He does this three different times And here's the command. He basically says this, Pastor my sheep. Tend to my sheep. Feed my sheep. Let your love for me, the shepherd, prompt you into tending for and caring for and feeding these sheep that I so dearly love, that I laid my life down to preserve and save. Would you do that, Peter? Now look at Peter's response. In verse 18, and I'll read it from there. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hand, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God with. Peter was martyred. He was killed for his faith. And after that, saying, uh, saying this, he said to him, follow me. Do you hear the heading? Remember, go west? That's it. Follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. He's talking about John. And the one who had been reclining at, uh, at table close to him when he had said, Lord, is this the one who's going to betray you? So he's, all that to say he saw John. When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Do you see the comparing? 
Jesus comes, restores him by giving him mercy and a mission. Tells him super clearly, tend my sheep, feed my sheep, follow me. What does Peter do? He does what brothers do. What about him? Worried about other people. Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. My parents had a favorite phrase in a house of four boys growing up. Worry about yourself. Worry about yourself. Parents, you can know, by the way, what phrases you say a lot when the kids start correcting each other with that same phrase. So we used to correct one another with that. Worry about yourself. If anyone ever was about to tattle on me, worry about yourself, please. And we're so prone to this, not just as kids. We are so prone to comparing. God gives us an assignment. We immediately look around and go, do we get a better one? I got a better one than you. <laughs> what about that guy over there? He's sitting around doing nothing. And we're so prone to comparing. Jonathan, come up here. Uh, Tegan and Cassie, come up here really quick. We have some... We have some visuals that have been helping us out the last several weeks. And this one by far, come stand front and center right here. This one by far has been the most obscure. Come stand right here. Um, So I'm just going to remind you of this. As someone who hadn't been here in a while says, "Um, what's the acronym Oreo stand for? (laughs) I said nothing. You can catch the podcast from several weeks ago. What what the Oreos stood for? Put your hand out, Jonathan. Uh, there you go. Thank you. Good at picking up cookies, Cassie. Put your hand out, Cassie. Okay. Put your hand out, Tegan. Okay, you got to hold real still. Okay, you got to hold it flat out there so people can see it. Um, what the Oreos stood for was the idea that as we set our priorities, we're responsible before God to what those priorities are. And for some of you, we talked about the idea that for some of you, the immediate obvious best choice of these three stacks is quite clearly right here. Because you love Oreos. Or because you love to share with your friends. Some of you hate Oreos or germs or crumbs. And so this is the better pick. Right? Some of you are middle kids or from Switzerland and you like this one right here. Right? So... So as you see the stacks, don't make the assumptions that you automatically know what other people's priorities should be. That's why I'm not going to have the arrogance to tell you what your priorities in ministry are. But at the same time, as you see other people and God gives you this and you're an awfully big guy and it looks from external things like you should get something different and here's someone smaller than you that has three Oreos, um, you take that before God. And, and don't and don't bicker between people, and certainly don't bicker at me. Okay. Now, does anyone have a taste for stale Oreos? Because you guys can keep those. Okay. You can keep those, or you can put them back. Okay. We do know how many are in there, so if you've been snacking on those, we're watching you. All right. Give it up for our three helpers. Go ahead and sit down. Yeah. I love it. When you're from a family of seven kids, stale does not bother you. You're like, I, man, two cookies in my hand, I will take that every time. All right, there's a close, there's a really close cousin to comparing, and that's copying. Don't copy. Ministry is wide and varied. Celebrate this. Celebrate the fact that it's wide and varied. Get clear on a couple of essential truths. Get clear on what your motive should be, and then, and then, and then that you're not serving for your salvation, but based on that, you can leap forward and strive at the good work. Once you get clear on a few essentials, man, run. Go play. The world's a giant playground. Go and do wide and various things. 1 Corinthians 12.4. You can just jot it down. I'm going to put it on the screen for you. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And, And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Do you see the variety? Do you see, though, that it's also the same Lord and Spirit that holds it all together? 
If you ask any artist, artist, which color is the best color? If you ask any musician, what's the most beautiful note? You ask any chef, what is the best tasting spice? All three of them would turn and look at you with the same horrified look. There's not just one. I mean, it depends. What emotion am I trying to create with this color? What is it mixing with? What am I trying to cook and serve up? Who am I feeding? Variety is the spice of life. Have you heard that before? Eat up. Eat up in ministry. Don't copy. Don't compare. Find out what God has you to do. And then go do it with all that you are. Mark chapter 1. I'm just going to give you a quick example of this. Short little exchange. And he, talking about Jesus, came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. She was sick with a fever. And the fever left her and she began to serve them. This is a story about Simon's mother-in-law. Jesus healing, which is him doing what he was called to do, enabled Simon's mother-in-law to do what she was called to do, which was to get up and start serving them. Jesus doing what he was called to do actually enabled another person to get up and do what they were called to do. That's a, that's a wake up with fever and at your service kind of moment, isn't it? Now, we don't know the nature of the service exactly of what it was, but what if Simon's mother-in-law had got up and tried to copy Jesus? I guess I'm supposed to start healing people. That looks like a pretty neat trick. I want to go heal people. I know how good it felt to be healed. I'm going to go do that for other people. We already have a Jesus. Don't copy Jesus. There might be something that someone has done for you that enabled you to begin to unlock who you are and your giftedness and you start serving in that area, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're supposed to be that person and unlock it in the same way for other people. Jesus did what he was called to do so that Simon's mother-in-law was able to carry out what she was called to do. Comparing and copying distract you. Over here to my left, to your right, what we see is this. We've been talking about this all series long. This has a big, uh, a big to do with almost every area with this greater than. And the idea is this, that our, our sphere of care is always going to be bigger than, than what we can handle in here. There will always be more things that, that you want to do, that you care about, than what you can actually handle. Your role is to handle what you're supposed to handle. Do you see that there's different sizes over here? Some people care some and have smaller hands. They're to do what they're called to do. There's different colors and sizes over here to represent the reality that there are different and various ministries. Don't copy. Don't compare. All right, here's another one. Here's the fourth one. Consider timing. Jesus often mentioned his time. Early on in the Gospels, we see his time had not yet come. My time has not yet come. My time has not yet come. And then all of a sudden, we start to see this switch. He did this because his time had come. Jesus was very aware not only of what and who, but when. So for you with ministry, consider timing. When you're assessing starting a ministry, ending a ministry, or tweaking a ministry, consider timing. Sometimes growth is just a season away. You've been plowing the ground, you've been digging it up, you've been working at it, you've been putting all the, all the supporting pieces in place, and you fold your arms, kick the dirt, and walk away when growth was just a season away. Because you didn't consider timing, you considered how hard the work was and how little reward you're getting. Ecclesiastes says this, For everything there is a season, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. I think that's true in ministries. Do you know it's okay to let ministries die? Man, that's a relief for some of you. You were raised in some kind of tradition that, man, once you volunteer as a Sunday school teacher, you're going to die there. 
And I don't want to be an usher because the last usher that got put in place was put in place in like 1967. What if that happens to me? I couldn't shake hands for all that time. And it's okay to let ministries die. Let me put out a real need for you right now. We've had the transition here for a while now, but Love, Inc. is a ministry. It's a parachurch ministry we support. And one of the roles that we have here at the church is a role where all the calls that come in from Love, Inc., different needs that come, come to one person. And that one person um, calls through our list. Those of you who have said, please call me. I'd like to meet needs. I'd like to give people rides to their appointments who can't give rides. I'd like to do some light house cleaning. Um, I'd like to do some things. I'd like to go shopping with, with an elderly person. I'd, l- I'd love to do that. We have someone who's, who's the loving coordinator from our church named Lou Toller. Lou's been faithfully serving in it for a long time. Lou and I talk often. We talk all the time. And one of the things Lou has expressed is, I need a break. I said, great, we're going to find your replacement. We need someone else to step into that role. So we are actively looking for someone to do what Lou did for Naomi several years ago, which is have that transition. It's okay to step out of the ministry. In fact, often it's a really good, godly thing to do that. Consider timing when you're in ministry. Keep the end view in mind. Look at this verse from 1 Peter. 1 Peter says this, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you. When? At the revelation of Jesus Christ. Keep a long view of ministry. There is a time when it's all going to be made right. There is a time when there's a giant payoff. It will be. It's coming. It's in the future. If you get stuck in the here and now, it's going to kill eternal ministry. Do you see that? It will absolutely destroy it. It will sink it. Finally, this is the most important one. Number five. Um, Who knows what the word uh, omnipotent means? Omnipotent. What does it mean? All-powerful. Okay? How about the word uh, omniscient? What does omniscient mean? All-knowing, we're catching on. Uh, how about the word omnipresent? What does that mean? Okay, that's right. So if you take this, uh, this Latin prefix omni and you put it in front of something, it's all or every. Now, I want those of you who are feeling like church should be an honest place on a Sunday morning to repeat after me. I am not omni anything. Can you say that with me? One, two, three. I am not omni anything. Wow, isn't that good to say? Omniscient is a godlike trait. You're not omniscient. Omnipotent is a godlike trait. We're not omnipotent. We're not omni anything. That's a really, really good thing to affirm. You and I can't just go buy anything we want because there's a limited amount of funds. Even if you're a credit freak and you're doing everything on credit, there's only a, there's a certain point you'll max out and no one will loan you any more money. And yet sometimes we live our life as if these other things in life are unlimited. Our energy our knowledge, where we can be, who we can be faithful and prominent to. Unlimited is unrealistic. When you set priorities, when you begin to think through greater than really, really clearly, what happens is it keeps your sanity. You have to get clear on where your deficiencies are going to be. You could actually help steer your deficiencies. God has given me a real hunger for knowledge. I love to learn. There are things, there's so many things I love to learn that I have to consciously say all the time, I'm not going to learn that. I can't possibly add that into my brain. I have many, many interests and hobbies. I can't pick that one up right now. Ever, maybe. So pick your deficiency and just say, where where am I going to cut out for the sake of what is most important? Remember this from a couple of weeks ago? Uh, how about this? There you go. I am not omni-anything. That's, that's what you just said. This from a couple of weeks ago. Do you want to help needy children? 
When you get clear in ministry, when you get clear of what God's called you to do, when you get clear of what you can handle, what you can do is this. You can say, if they're asking for action right now, for money right now, you can clearly check, no, I don't, and move on. Here's, here's where to begin. You can begin uh, with being partial to those who are outcasts or marginalized. Do you notice that Jesus was really partial? I mean, he was addicted to people. He was always around people, helping people, loving people, meeting with people. But he seemed to have a special place in his heart for the marginalized and the outcasts. Why don't you begin there? Why don't you start there? Here's another place to begin. The household of faith. Galatians 6.10 says this. As we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. That's a lot of people. And especially, that's greater than language, especially to those who are the household of faith. Ben talked last week about our relationships and geography. Why don't you start looking around your community group? Why don't you start looking around your church and just going, Lord, what, what needs are here? You all look pretty sharp here this morning. But just scratch a little below the surface. We all have storms going on in our life. We all have needs. Why don't you start there? Finally, I would say this. Maybe what you need to have to get you started is just to have a conversation. Uh, in the room this morning are, um, are some of our pastors and directors. These are people who basically head up the ministries around the church. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? Raise your hand if you're a pastor or director. Community group leader. If you're a community group leader, would you raise your hand? Um, uh, Jenny Cook. Uh, and, and others are involved in, uh, in some women-specific kinds of ministries. You could talk to me about, um, about all kinds of different ministries. I'd love to chat with you. Just have a conversation. Just say, hey, some of the things that, that stirred there, I just want to talk, how, how do you get started in some of this? I, I used to be involved in this. I, I want to get reactivated. It's time. I, I've been nursed back to health long enough. I've been on the sideline. Put me in, coach. Mm-hmm. Right? That's the mentality. Let me pray. God, we thank you for your loving uh, and gentle guidance toward us, even in ministry, God. I pray that for those who are stuck in a chore, uh, that, God, they'd be able to discern whether this is just the the general hardship of ministry right at the moment or whether this is a place of serving that they shouldn't be in. God, I thank you that we get the freedom to change and to let ministries die, to pick up new things. I thank you that there's different seasons in ministry. Would you free us from, from comparing? from copying. God, we seek you. We want to follow you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.